Hey everyone, this is Chad, the pastor of Creekside. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about worshiping God on Mondays. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to give you an update on what's happening at our church. Like almost everything in our world right now, we've had to change. The way we are doing things is vastly different than it was four weeks ago, and one of the biggest and easiest ways to see that is through our Sunday gatherings, or I guess lack of gatherings. All of our services have moved online now, and obviously we don't love that. Uh, I can't wait to be back with people in person. I'm excited about that moment, and uh, I'm looking forward to it already, even though we don't know when it's going to be. But I am thankful at the same time that we can do church online. It's not a substitute for what we normally do, but at least it can fill some gaps in the meantime. Now, I'm telling you all this because uh, I want to invite you to be a part of what we're doing on Sundays. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., we are streaming our services live. You can find all the places that we're streaming to by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash live. That's creeksidebiblechurch.org slash live. Some of what we're doing in those services is similar to what we do on Sunday mornings. And then we're adding a lot of things that wouldn't make sense in a in-person setting that hopefully are, are being used by God to make an impact digitally. I've heard from a lot of people that our services are having a positive impact on their lives especially as we you know go through these strange times that we're living through right now and so i hope that you'll join us uh as we gather together online Uh, again thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon i hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of god hey good morning everybody my name is chad i'm the pastor of creekside i want to Thank you for tuning in. I wish that we were together, but I am thankful that we can, you know, kind of be together in this way. Uh, Welcome to my dining room. That makes it sound a lot bigger than it is, but welcome. Uh, I'm glad that you've decided to spend the morning with us here online. I I just want to begin by by saying that there are times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, but I'll speak for myself. There are times in my life when it is more difficult to engage God and to worship God. To be honest with you, I'm finding that to be true right now in the situation that we are facing. Being in this quarantine has made it difficult, uh, or at least I've allowed it to make it difficult for me to engage God and worship God in the ways that I normally do. We just know, I think, that there are times in life If we're God-worshiping, God-fearing people, there are times in life when it is easy to worship God, and there are times in life when it is difficult to worship God. I think this is really clearly and easily seen just in kind of our weekly rhythms. On Sunday, when we gather together for church, it's easier to worship God. God, to engage God in his word and through prayer and all the ways that we do than it is on Monday. It's no secret I, uh, to me, I, I know that sometimes you'll leave a sermon and a service excited to live differently for God, to do better, to maybe spend more time with him, maybe to change some patterns or behaviors in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then Monday arrives and Monday is full of distraction and struggle and 
and, and things that, that just pull you away from kind of those commitments that you made on Sunday. It's similar to the fact that when you bow your head to pray on a Monday, it just doesn't feel the same as on Sunday when we're gathered together and we're all, you know, focused on worshiping God together. And, and here's what I, I kind of think. I, I don't know if this is true for you, but it sure feels true for me. I think we're living right now in a world full of Mondays. I mean, just the fact that we're online together this morning, but not together it is, is indicative of the fact that, that we're living in a world full of Mondays, a world that is, I think, making it in some ways more difficult to engage and, and worship God the way that we want to if we are Christians. I mean, just think about this. Every Sunday you, you come and you gather with us if you're part of our church and, or if you're part of a different church. And, and after you've gathered, it's, it's filling, right? You, you feel a sense of, of fullness in, in your soul. And when you leave there, it's like, it's like food in order to, to have the energy you need to serve God for the rest of the week. But we can't do that, at least not in the normal way. I think about people who, who only come to church on Easter every year and, and they kind of rely on that. And I, I think it's a dangerous thing to do, but they rely on that as kind of the spiritual sustenance for the year. And now they won't be able to do that. And, and so I'm convinced that in some ways we are living in a constant state of Monday. And, and it's difficult right now, maybe for you, at least for me, to engage God in the way that we normally do. And this morning, we're going to look at a story that I really think helps us to understand how we can do a better job of engaging and worshiping God on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, a better job of engaging and worshiping God when it's just not that easy to do. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons that there are times when it's difficult to worship God and engage God and times when it's just easier. I mean, I can make excuses for myself right now. I mean, my workload has gone up trying to produce videos and, and frankly, make sure that the people in our church are taken care of. We've had to pivot so many times that, uh, that it seems like two weeks, you know, we haven't had two weeks in a row that have really been the same for us and what we're doing as a church. I, I could go on with all of these excuses, but I think at the heart of all of them, is what we're going to see in this story today. And, and it's simply this. It's more difficult to worship and engage God when we are not considering, when we don't feel, when we don't think about our need for him than it is when we understand how desperate we are for him. Let me, let me say it this way. This is, this is the main point for today. I, I hope you'll keep watching because I think the story we're gonna look at is really good and it, it teaches this point in a really profound way. But here's, here's the main point up front for you. The more you recognize your need for Jesus, the more you will worship and engage him in, on Monday or on Mondays, as might be the case right now. Before we look at the story I think it's really important to put it in kind of the larger context. I think the profundity of the story we are going to look at is really 
magnified by kind of the events that surround it. Today is the day that we call Palm Sunday. That is the day that the church, not just our church, the church celebrates Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem where he is coming to celebrate Passover. Just seven days after this event where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, is Easter. Next week is Easter. I hope that you'll be with us online. We have some cool things planned for that. But seven days after Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is Easter. Only five days later, Jesus will be killed at the hands of religious leaders and Roman leaders, and he'll die for the sins of the world on the day that we call Good Friday. I hope you'll join us for that service too. And in a lot of ways, because of what we'll read in a second, Palm Sunday that precedes these events that that are maybe more famous, that are more widely celebrated, Palm Sunday is a day of celebration. But before we look at that, I think it's important to even kind of take another step back and look at uh, the context more generally. Jesus' popularity is booming. Just recently, before Palm Sunday, he he is... brought back a man named Lazarus from the dead. And and so the crowds, you can imagine, right? Like they're going crazy. But at the same time, the religious leaders, hatred for Jesus is booming. They are looking for a way to arrest him and kill him. So him and his disciples, they know it's dangerous for him to go into Jerusalem, but Jesus is going to go anyway. He knows that it's his destiny to die on that cross for you and me. And so he, he marches into Jerusalem. Now, the night before this, he spends in a city called Bethany, and he'll actually spend Palm Sunday, the evening of Palm Sunday in Bethany. But, but that Sunday morning, he wakes up and he, he tells his disciples to go and get a donkey, a donkey that's never been ridden before. There's a ton of importance to this donkey and the events that surround it. I preached on that a couple of years ago, Um, but mainly we just need to understand that it's fulfilling prophecy. It's fulfilling promises made about what Jesus would do when he came to earth. He fulfills this prophecy, and in doing so, as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is declaring that he is both Savior and King. He's Savior and King. And as he's marching on this donkey, whether people pick up on that or not is unclear, but they do have an inclination that he is the coming king. And, And so this is what we read in Matthew 21, seven through nine. They brought the donkey and the cloak and they, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You can see why it's called Palm Sunday. They place the palm branches at the feet of the donkey as Jesus enters into town. And they cry out. This is maybe the most famous part of Palm Sunday besides the branches. They cry out, Hosanna. This is a word of praise that basically means salvation has come. It's a word that that shifted meanings through the years. It was a cry for salvation, but over time, it was just a cry to God, recognizing that he had brought salvation. And so the people are in some ways declaring Jesus as, as the king who has come to set things right for him. The king who has come in the line of David in order to be the Messiah. 
this is beautiful, right? I mean, what a great story. This is what Palm Sunday is. This is what we are celebrating here online together. This is why we sang Hosanna so many times in the song set just before this. It's beautiful. Thousands of people worshiping Jesus on a Sunday. But this is not where the story ends. What happens next is really telling. What happens next is that Jesus, in, in Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus weeps over the city. Listen to this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, for you, even you, for if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will, leave, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus realizes that this Sunday worship is not the end of the story, but, but many of these same people who are chanting Hosanna just a few days later will be chanting crucify him. They did not recognize that in his coming, God had come for them. And so they will reject him. And, and, and what will happen to the city of Jerusalem is sad. It will happen just a, a few decades later. They will be, they will be pummeled just as Jesus predicts here in this passage of scripture. And so Jesus hears the Sunday worship, but on Sunday evening, after the crowds have, have dissipated, Jesus weeps over the city, recognizing that they have not really and truly recognized him for all that he is. It's interesting. The Sunday morning worship experience is over, right? And Jesus is left alone. Nobody engaging, nobody in worship, worshiping him, just him weeping for what will eventually take place in the city he looks at. So that night, Jesus goes back to Bethany, not home. He goes back to Bethany. He spends the night. The next day, he wakes up and, and he heads back into Jerusalem. And this is the story that I want to look at this morning because it's so telling. It's so helpful in understanding the, the thing that will compel us to continue to worship and engage Jesus when it's hard. It's the, it's the thing. It will show us the thing that will help us to worship and engage Jesus on Mondays, just like we do on Sundays. Listen to this. Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is a famous story and it's a story that I just want to look at briefly because it is still kind of set up for really what I want to see today. But, but notice this. This is a symbolic act of judgment. It's not a cleansing as it is sometimes called. Jesus will not really cleanse anybody or anything until he dies on the Friday. But here on Monday, he is really saying, look, you people, uh, even you religious people in the temple, you deserve punishment. This is a statement of judgment. The life application commentary says both the money changers and those buying and selling are making this simply a commercial operation. And the temptation for abuse is real. 
Since surplus tax was consigned to the temple fund, temple commerce was at times notorious for exploiting the disadvantaged. You see what's happening here? The people coming from all over the Roman world are coming to Passover. And at Passover, they're going to pay a temple tax and they're going to make a bunch of sacrifices. And so there's people set up to buy and sell and to exchange money. And these people were notorious for ripping off, especially the disenfranchised, the poor, the broke, the hurting, the needy that were coming to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, there's another piece here that's really important. This is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. The way the temple worked is, is you could get closer to the, the center of the temple based on certain criteria, whether you're a woman or a man, and, and even bigger, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And so the Gentiles had a court that was further away from God than the Jewish people could get. It was meant to be a place where the world, whether you were Jewish or not, could come and worship and engage God. Interesting, right? Considering what we're talking about this morning. And Jesus is in part frustrated because they've set up these tables and these money changing stations to in the court of the Gentiles and has taken it from being a place of prayer and worship to a place of, of commerce. That's a really crazy uh, idea. It, it is hurting the Gentiles' ability to worship God. Jesus says in the book of Mark when he tells this story uh, that, uh, that it was supposed to be, this place was supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations. The temple was in fact supposed to be a, a witness to all the people that the Jewish God was the real God. And now these people exchanging money and, and selling animals are, are making a mockery of that sometimes so that they can simply profit. Jesus quotes two Old Testament passages of scripture, Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. The latter is where the phrase den of robbers comes from. And in Jeremiah when he says this, he's warning against superstitious reverence of the temple combined with disobedience to God. Superstitious reverence of the temple combined with disobedience to God. What does that mean? It means that Jeremiah is warning against the very thing that is happening in, Jewish, the Jewish, uh, in the time that Jesus is living. He's warning against saying, as long as I come to the temple and offer these sacrifices, it doesn't matter how I live my life. God will bless me and take care of me. He's warning against being a person who worships and engages God on Sunday and not the rest of the week, not the rest of the year, and then expects God to bless you. That's what Jeremiah is warning against. And so Jesus says, look, you are, you are a den of robbers. A den of robbers, by the way, connects to this thing that took place in, in Jesus' world. In the mountainous areas where people would travel through, the robbers would hide in caves and, and then they would plan how to steal and they would hide their loot there and they'd come down and they'd, they'd beat people and they'd steal their stuff. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, it's, it's a similar idea there. And, and so Jesus says, this is a den of robbers. You are... You are making a mockery of God's worship and engagement, and you are preventing people, Gentile people, from worshiping and engaging God. In some ways, Jesus is saying here uh, that they have become nationalists over God-fearing, God-loving people. It is in some ways a political statement on Jesus' behalf. 
Craig S. Keener says, of all Jesus' acts, his attack on the temple came closest to appearing as a revolutionary challenge to the political order. But this action was a prophetic declaration rather than the challenge of a zealot leader seeking a following. Jesus isn't trying to take over politically in this statement. He's making a political statement to say, look, what's happening here is wrong. This should not be taking place. People should not be blocked from worshiping and engaging God. And that's exactly what you are doing. And so he flips over these tables, right? Like, don't, don't lose that. Don't, don't miss that. He flips over these tables, man, what a commotion that must've caused. Uh, we don't know about how people responded. People yelled at him. People were mad. We don't know all of those things, but it would be interesting to know, but what a commotion he causes flipping over those tables and, and, and basically saying, look, what you're doing here is just superstitious kind of temple stuff versus truly engaging and worshiping God. And it's preventing others from truly engaging and worshiping God. Now, this next part is so telling because the crowds are gone. He's apparently left kind of the religious kind of, you know, happenings that are taking place for Passover. And, and then we kind of seemingly encounter Jesus alone somewhere in the temple. Like nobody seems to be paying attention to him except for three groups of people. And this is where we're going to find the answer to how we continue to worship and engage God on Mondays. Listen, verses 14 through 16, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. The crowds are gone. Seems like the action of the day is done. And there's three people who continue to engage Jesus. Three types of people who continue to engage Jesus. The blind, the lame, and the children. This is really important. Listen to this. The blind and the lame were two groups of people who had restricted access to the temple activities. The deaf and the mute also were groups of people who could not have full access to God the way that everybody else could. They weren't, in fact, required to travel to Jerusalem for things like the Passover. And sometimes they weren't even allowed in the temple at all, depending on who the religious leaders were that were kind of empowering over seeing things. They were forgetting to make sacrifices, and this meant they could not appear before God in the temple. Their access to God, their ability to engage God and worship God was restricted by these physical problems that they had. And yet, when the crowds are gone and when Jesus has made a whole bunch of people angry, on Monday, they are continuing to engage Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus quotes from Psalm 8 too. You can read that later, but I would point to this. Have you not read? This is a reminder of the theological ignorance of the religious leaders, something that is a very common theme in the book of Matthew. And it also invites these religious leaders who are mad about what the children are saying to join in the course of the children. But here's the thing that you need to notice. 
Being blind and lame are symbolic in Scripture of spiritual struggles. They are physical examples of things that take place in us spiritually. You only have to think of uh, the amazing, amazing song called Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. It's a spiritual metaphor. I was blind. I was walking in darkness. I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to worship God, but now now I see. And it seems here that these people become representatives of all of us. The Life Application Commentary again says, as Jesus heals the blind and the lame, he shows his authority to create purity in all. Jesus heals these blind and lame people. And in so doing, he reminds us that each and every one of us spiritually need him to heal us. We are all desperate for the work of Jesus in our life. Keep that word in mind, desperate. But I also want you to notice what the children are singing. The Pharisees don't like it. The religious leaders, I should say, don't like it. But what they are saying is so important. They continue to sing, man, I love this, Hosanna. What the crowds were singing on Sunday, the children are still singing on Monday. And it shows us. This is what it shows us, and we'll see this in a couple verses in just a second, that the more we recognize our need for Jesus, the more we will worship and engage him on Monday. Listen to Matthew 18, two through four. He called a little child to him, this is Jesus, and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to Matthew 19, 13, and 14. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The little children demonstrate what the blind and the lame recognized, that they were desperate for God Listen to this quote I found on, on the internet. Jesus was pointing out the truth that a child is completely dependent on adults for safety, sustenance, and knowledge. Similarly, the faithful person depends on God in a way that is absolutely dependent. The faithful person, the person who worships God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday depends on God in a way that is absolutely dependent. The life application commentary one more time. As weak, defenseless, vulnerable children, they must continue to maintain dependence on their heavenly father for the purpose, power, and significance of their life of discipleship. That's what, that is what, Jesus is getting at here. I think about this idea of, of children and, and their recognition of need, their desperation to be taken care of. And you see it so clearly in babies, right? Like babies cannot survive with their parents not taking care of them. And that's true for kids my age, four and a two-year-old. I could not just leave them and, and say, good luck, you know, stay at home and I'll be back in a couple hours. That would be that would be terrible. It would be a death sentence for them, maybe. 
And so we see it in kids so clearly that they are desperate for God. But what makes them a great example is that they recognize their vulnerability and they recognize their need for specifically their parents. And this is what Jesus is getting at. This is what I think we are supposed to learn this morning from this passage of scripture. We must become like little children and recognize our incredible dependence on God. If we are going to worship him when the crowds are gone and people are angry and it just doesn't make sense. If we are going to worship and engage God on Mondays, we must recognize our need for him. I think of a, a couple of, of stories. Uh, first, from my own life, I, I uh, was at my grandpa's softball game when I was a kid, and uh, my grandpa was out playing softball, and uh, you know that I love softball if you're part of our church, um, but I apparently wasn't interested then, and so I went over to play on the playground, as kids will do. I was six years old, and uh, I was up on the monkey bars back when the monkey bars were 100 feet in the air. Maybe that's just because I was a kid, but, but really high monkey bars. And I lost my grip and I fell and I landed on my left side and I, I broke my arm three different places, really bad break. And, uh, you know, I just started crying and yelling, I, I want my dad. I want my dad. I, I knew that I was broken and I was hurting, and I was desperate for my dad. I also think about my son and, and uh, swimming and, uh, sorry, making a noise here, uh, and, and swimming, right? And he has, he, this works for him now. He got his little arm things in here. Do you remember the floaties when we were kids? Oh, man, those things just hurt and barely stayed on. Um, but, but this floaty works for him now. But just about a, a year and a half ago, maybe, even when he had these floaties on, if he was in a pool and we weren't paying attention to him, that never happened. But if we wouldn't have paid attention to him, he could still flip over and, and, and fall into uh, the water face down and, and not be able to flip himself back over. He looked like a turtle on a shell or whatever, in a shell flipped over or whatever. And yet, despite even a floaty not being able to really protect my son in a pool, if I say to my son, jump in, he just jumps in. I think these two stories, softball and a broken arm calling out for dad and, and my son being willing to jump into a pool without hesitation, demonstrate something that is at the heart of these young kids chanting Hosanna, singing Hosanna to Jesus, even when the crowds are gone. It's at the heart of the blind and the lame coming to Jesus when nobody else is coming to Jesus anymore. It's this, both desperation for God and trust in God to meet the needs that you have. You think, I think that we struggle to worship God on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, because we forget how incredibly desperate we are for God and we fail to trust him in our desperation. I mean, even now, right? Like this situation that we're in, we're stuck at home. You would think, well, well Chad, what you're saying doesn't make sense given that this is a horrible situation, but, but man, my, I can't speak for all of us. I know this isn't true for all people and I'm sad about that, but, but for, for lots of us, right? Like our pantries are full. We don't have to go anywhere. We're, we're less scared about becoming sick personally than, than maybe ever before because we're in our houses all the time. 
We live here in Wilsonville. If you're here in Wilsonville, I know we're online, so uh, maybe you live somewhere that's not as affluent as Wilsonville, but, but we're here in Wilsonville in a fairly affluent community where people are willing to help and take care of us. And I think that even in the midst of this tragedy that's taking place all around us, that we have forgotten how incredibly desperate we are for God. And connected to that, we trust ourselves. We say, well, I, I, I bought food and I'll come up with a better plan. I can tell you that that's what's happening in my life right now. I, I'm here, I'm warm, I'm fed. Things are fine for us as a family. And at the same time, I'm looking at all the things that, that need to happen. And, and I, Chad, am trying to put together the best possible plan for Easter, for taking care of the people in our church as they lose their jobs, for making sure that, that my family is safe and all of these things. It's, it's all, I am, I'm making it all about me and what I can accomplish. And so I work more and I think more and I process more, but I don't pray more. As Americans living in modern times, I think it's really hard to worship and engage God because we fail to recognize our need for him and we place our trust in ourselves far more than we place our trust in God. There's this thing that happens kind of nationally during tragedies. I remember after September 11th, the Twin Towers were bombed. And it was like the whole world turned to God. It's like everybody started to engage and worship God, at least in our country. I think the reason for that was we were all scared. We all recognized how desperate we were for God and we could no longer trust ourselves or the systems around us because it seemed like like all of the things that we trusted were shattered with the steel of the Twin Tower buildings. Right now, I don't know that we feel that, but I hope is that, I hope that as we think about all of the loss of life and all of the unknowns, all of the scary things that we're currently dealing with, that it would compel us to, to recognize our deep and utter desperation for God. I mean, man, we don't even know how to solve a virus problem. We need God. And then it would compel you and I to trust him and, and, and to remember <laughs> that we really are not trustworthy when it comes to our own lives and even more our own souls. The blind, the lame, the kids, they all recognized their desperation for Jesus and they trusted him because they had nobody else and no other thing to trust. You and I need to follow suit and do the same. Now there's a spiritual component to this, right? Because sometimes we don't have major needs. Sometimes we're not facing pandemics. Sometimes life is easy. But we must always remember that spiritually speaking, we are completely desperate for God's work in our life. We are completely desperate for his movement in us. Listen, if you're not a Christian, 
then you have a sin problem. You have rejected God and there is no forgiveness for that. You have done things that you know are wrong, that are evil, that are sinful, and there is no way that you can be forgiven on your own accord. But what Jesus does five days after Palm Sunday by dying on a cross is that he offers you forgiveness for your sins. And I hope this morning that you would just at least process, am I desperate in my soul for the work that Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of sin? I know for me, who, who I am a Christian, right? I know that the more I recognize and remember how desperate I am for the forgiveness of Jesus, for the love of Jesus, for the hope of Jesus, for the purity of Jesus, for the peace of Jesus, the more I will engage and worship him when it's not easy. And I hope that if you're not a Christian, you'll come to him. But if you are a Christian right now, in this moment, you would remember both because of the situation we're facing, but also just in your souls, how incredibly desperate you are for him. We were all blind, but we can now see if we've given ourselves to Jesus. We're desperate, man. What we're facing right now should remind us, we are desperate for God. We don't always remember that. We don't always trust him but we are always desperate for God. And if we will remember and focus on that desperation, it will draw us to our knees as we engage and worship him on Monday. I want each of you, I hope that each of you, instead of trying to come up with a better plan, not instead of, uh, but first, before you try to come up with a better plan, a better solution, before you read all the news and try to figure out how long we're going to be quarantined, I hope that you would think about how desperate you are for God and you would trust him. And as you do, I trust that you will engage and worship him more fully. The more we recognize our need, our desperation for God, the more we will worship him on Mondays. Let me pray that you'll worship him tomorrow and every day of your life. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for how little I've engaged you, God, in a time when our world needs you so desperately. And I see that and I'm saddened by it, God. I, I have chosen, God, to try to come up with my best plans and solutions over and above, God, engaging you and worshiping you. But right now, Lord, our world needs, especially your sons and daughters, to engage you. And I pray that we would, God, because we would recognize that not only we are desperate for you, but our neighbors are desperate for you, our communities are desperate for you, our cities are desperate for you, our state is desperate for you, our nation is desperate for you, our world, God, is desperate for you. And I pray it would compel us to engage you, God, and to worship you. Lord Jesus, I pray for the people who are listening right now that are not Christians, that have never stopped to ponder how desperate they are for your forgiveness and salvation. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would right now show them how desperately they need you. And God, it would compel them to come to you like the blind and the lame and the children did on that Monday following Palm Sunday so many years ago. Draw them to you, God because they are, whether they've recognized it or not, desperate for you. God, let us be people. Let us be a church. Let us be a nation. Let us be a world 
that worships you, God, even on Monday. I pray these things in Jesus' holy, wonderful name. Amen. Hey, I want to, again, thank you for listening to my sermon. Uh, and, and here's what I, I'm going to ask you to do. We haven't been doing this, but I do this when we meet together. Uh, if you've been impacted, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to fill out a response card for us. Obviously, they're not in the blue bins. Oh, we don't have blue bins anymore. The, the silvery bins underneath your chairs. Um, but there is one online. You can go to creekside.me slash respond. Creekside.me slash respond. Go to creekside.me slash respond and fill out one of those response cards. I really, I really miss... Uh, reading about how God has impacted your life through me. And so if, if you've given your life to Jesus today, if, you've, if you're going to do better at worshiping on Monday than Sunday, if, if you've you know, remembered that you are desperate for God because of, of God using my sermon this morning, go to creekside.me slash respond and fill out one of those cards. I, I, if you do, I'll pray for you. I'll reach out to you. I'll be there for you. I'll try to help you in any way. Uh, that I can. And also, 